listening to the Boise Talks podcast, a podcast about faith, life, mission and other stuff with your host, Adam Boyce. Well, it's been nearly a year since I last put out an episode of my podcast and I bumped into a friend of mine the other day and they mentioned that they'd noticed that I hadn't put out an episode since the last one, which was nothing else, a great mathematical observation of them. And they said, oh, well, you know, you must have been busy. What were things, you know, being how they've been over the last year or so? And I said, yeah, 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 I've been busy. Um, that's what it is, I've been busy. Because I couldn't really tell them the real reason why I hadn't put out an episode for the best part of a year. And so what's brought me out of hiding, you might be wondering. Well, I recorded the next episode of Boise Talks back in December, I think it was. And to be honest... I've gone nowhere near it since. And to even get to the place where I even recorded it took a lot, including some light-hearted blackmail from my friend, but that's a different story altogether. And if I'm honest, and I wonder if you can relate at all to how I'm about to describe how I was and do feel what feels like quite a bit of the time. And that's like a, a fake like, who do I think I am? Am I a DJ? Like, am I a radio show host? Like, I shouldn't be doing podcasts, interviewing people, asking them about their lives, and take out the podcast and stuff and insert your own situation, thoughts and feelings. And does that sound familiar at all? Because if it does, that is a thing called imposter syndrome. And this is me getting technical here. It, it's basically what's called an emotional pattern. And most of us have seen, you know, a not really that scary horror movie. And for me, the Scream movies back in the sort of late 90s, early noughties come to mind. And, you know, you'd get the victim, they'd get a knock at the door or ring of the doorbell and they'd open the door and then there's nobody standing there. And of course, they have to walk outside alone at night to investigate why no one's standing at the doorstep. And surprise, surprise, they get caught and they get slaughtered. And then however many scenes later, someone else gets a knock at the door and does the said same thing. And we sit there and we know we half and half and we kiss our teeth and maybe shout on the screen, like, why did you go outside after your friend just got murked the same way? Or when victim after victim, you know, they, they run upstairs away from the killer instead of out onto the road, KMT. And looking at these kind of scenes, it's easy for us to see the flawed patterns in their actions or behaviour. And it seems so obvious to us that you shouldn't go outside to investigate in the middle of a horror film or run upstairs with a knife-wielding killer chasing you. But the smart decisions, you know, what well, the obvious decision is to stay inside. But how comes they can't see the simple choice or solution? Well, the good news for you and I is that luckily we're not in said horror movies with an axe-wielding killer chasing us. But the bad news is we're a lot like those characters, to be honest. And the difference is that instead of getting caught up in a pattern that leads to an untimely death, we often find ourselves stuck or caught up in negative emotional patterns. And one of them is imposter syndrome. In simple terms, imposter syndrome is the experience of feeling basically like a fake or a phony. Like literally at any moment you're going to be found out as a fraud 
like you don't belong where you are or shouldn't be working at the job or studying the course that you are and feeling like you only got there through some sort of dumb luck, basically. And imposter syndrome, it can affect anybody. I mean, it doesn't matter what our work background is, what degree or skill levels we've achieved or obtained, whether we're rich, we're poor, we're middle class, working class. I mean, I personally think the classes are a load of nonsense, but that's probably for a different podcast. But imposter syndrome can affect anybody. And some of the sort of telltale signs are, for example, you know, criticising our own performance or sort of crediting our success to other people or other things and not being able to realistically assess, you know, our, our competence or our skills and having a feeling of having overachieved. So like every time we do achieve something, we feel like we shouldn't have achieved that or we've really overdid it this time, whereas we've actually just achieved something. And with imposter syndrome, you know, we can get into vicious cycles. And for, I mean, for example, might find ourselves telling ourselves that the only way we survived that presentation to our team or classes, maybe because we stayed up all night and rehearsed it word for word over and over again. Or the only way we got through that afternoon out with our friends or that family gathering was because we pre-thought ideas or, or of, you know, for small talk and stuff that the people you're going to be around are interested in. So we won't, you know, so it will appear like we're fitting in or like we're one of them. And these are just a couple of examples. But the problem is, the feeling of doing something well or achieving something doesn't change our core beliefs. So we might have bossed that presentation or sailed through that lunch with our work peeps or that picnic with our friends, but that little gremlin will still be there, sort of lurking in the background, ready at any moment to whisper, like, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? Like, you know you just winged that. You know you don't belong here. And the more we achieve the more we feel you know the more socially we feel successful you know the more we just feel like a fraud now imposter syndrome it really isn't uncommon at all at least 70 percent of people will experience at least one episode of it in their life at some point but in reality most people experience it more than once and for some mutations like myself, it, it, it's a part of our everyday life. The negative thinking, doubting ourselves, almost, sort of almost self-sabotaging ourselves, is, it's all stuff that comes along with imposter syndrome that can spread like a spider's web into many different areas of our life. I mean, I'll talk about that more in a bit. But there's three main features of imposter syndrome, and one of them is the feeling that other people have this exaggerated or inflated perception of our abilities. Another one is a fear that our true abilities, or maybe lack thereof in our mind, will be found out anytime. And the next one, or the third one, is a constant tendency to sort of attribute our success to motorbikes going past in the middle of recording a podcast. <laughs> um, a constant tendency to attribute our success to external factors like luck or just or winging it and someone who's a bit of an expert on imposter syndrome um, her name is Dr Valerie Young she's categorized it into five sort of subgroups and the first one is the perfectionist and the perfectionist they're never satisfied with their work they always feel like 
it could have or should have gone better. And instead of focusing on their strengths, they kind of fixate on any flaws and a lot of the time minor ones and any mistakes. And this more time results in sort of massive amounts of self-pressure and anxiety. And then you've got the superhero. And people fall into, into this category is because they feel inadequate or sort of not good enough or they feel like a fake or they feel like they, they need to push themselves to work as hard as they can to keep up and to compete or outdo their sort of real deal colleagues or peers. And the third type is the natural genius. And these people will set stupidly high goals for themselves and will feel crushed when they don't succeed. And they must be naturally good at what they are trying to do And they're basing their competence on how easily or quickly they can learn or master something instead of, you know, basing it on the effort that they put in to achieving it. And then you've got the soloist. And if I'm honest, this is the one that I relate to. And these people, more time, are very individualistic and they prefer working alone. And and their sense of self-worth comes from their productivity. So they will most of the time reject assistance from others and, the, and they'll see asking for or accepting help from other people as a sign of weakness or incompetence. And then the fifth one is the expert and the experts are always trying to learn more and are never satisfied with their level of understanding. And even though they might be highly skilled, they still find a way to underrate their, their own sort of expertise and experience. So as I said, as I said earlier, um, the negative thinking, the doubt in ourselves and almost the self-sabotage in ourselves that comes with imposter syndrome, it can weave its way into many different areas of our lives. And even though it's most of the time associated with our work or our studies and what we do or don't achieve in them, it can affect the social and relational side of our lives as well. And for me, when it comes to my work and studies, I left school uh, with no GCSEs, so I've got no formal qualifications. And I remember doing a mock science exam when I was 15, and I took one look at the paper. I think I might have answered the first question. I thought, you know, I bun this. This is I'm, I'm just bun this, and I'm done. With, I'm done with school, and I left school at 15. Um, because you could back then, you, you could just leave school at 15. I started working. And so the only formal qualification I actually have to my name, obviously I've, I've done training courses. I worked in IT for 10 years. So, I mean, I've done training courses. I've, I've done courses in that, since I've been working in mission. But the only formal qualification I have is a level three food supervision qualification for which I did zero studying for because I received the course materials only a few days before the exam. And so I went into the, the course, uh, the one day course, having not studied, because I didn't receive the course material, winged the exam, um, but I got distinction, apparently. Got the highest mark in the class. And I think one of the highest marks sort of ever in my workplace at this level three food supervision. And apparently it's the equivalent, my friend told me, to an A-level. And that made me think, raw, I've actually achieved an A-level. But then I thought, raw, you actually winged it again because you didn't study for it. But anyway, that's, that's my academic background, is sort of lack thereof. But I've always had this feeling of blagging it um, in my in my work sort of life, 
And my first role in IT came about when I was walking in the, working in a call centre. I applied for a, 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 a trainee role in the technical support department and I got it. And then very quickly, within a couple of months, they were the company I worked for was upgrading their whole computer system that managed the whole business. It was an IT company and they um, serviced sort of tills and for spec savers and car phone warehouse and servers and photocopiers, like all this office equipment and technology stuff. Anyway, so I've applied for this job in technical support, support department. I've got it. Um, obviously, zero, zero experience in IT, but hey. They're changing their computer software. And I thought, well, that sounds like an interesting project. And I had heard on the grapevine that there was um, secondment roles, like where they take you from the role you're doing and they put you in another role for a period of time. But the pay will be better and the experience will be better and blah, 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 blah. So I thought, hmm, why not I can get one of these roles? So anyway, so there was this test room on the technical support floor and it had this new computer system sort of set up in there on this, on this test sort of system in this room. And it was open. Anybody could just go in there and sort of use it as a quiet room or, or go on the test system. Anyway, so I spent... Um, two weeks, every lunch break, before work, after work, um, on this computer system, learning it. Inside out, upside down, I, I learned the whole thing. And because it was a test system, you had access to everything. Every single department's v sort of part of this system was available. And so I learned everything, logistics, um, the training, the HR, like everything, how it all worked together. And then within... The next two weeks, I'd written a training manual, sent it to the, to my director, um, and said, "Oh look, you know, I just put this together." And anyway, so I ended up getting this business analyst role because he thought that I was really good at this computer system because I'd learned it. Um, yeah, anyway, so I blagged myself into that role, and that was kind of kind of how I sort of went up the ladder from there in IT. No experience whatsoever, but so anyway, my point is, I've got. You know, I've always kind of felt like I've blagged my way through my career and sort of been a jack of all trades and a, and a master of none. And that's not necessarily always a negative thing, but it's when this feeling of blagging turns to feelings of not being good enough and being a fraud and, you know, sitting in a room in a meeting up until recent days um, full of what I perceive to be more capable and better trained people than me, thinking that at any minute someone will walk in and whisper in somebody's ear... You, you do know Adam's a fraud. And then the game will be up. That's it, you know. That's more than blagging. And it seems for me that it's gotten worse in recent years. And I honestly think it's because the more together I seem to have gotten my life, I mean, being in one job for seven years is a record for me. You know, building deep, long-term friendships with people, that's a success. Having some semblance of... of responsibility in my finances and paying my bills on time every month and putting up a bit for a rainy day is a big win for someone like me who would squander money and, and be broke most months before payday even up until recent years and I mention all of this because it feels like just as I'm doing so well in many areas of my life where I've always done terrible or not so great this horrible feeling of being an imposter or, or a fraud or not good enough and about to be find out, found out as a fake, is the strongest it's ever been. And it's reached a point in recent times that when I'm in meetings at work, for example, I at times I tend to be quieter, you know, a bit more reserved. I mean, partly because 
God has been working on my character and has really been showing me the effectiveness of listening more and speaking less. You know, speaking when needed to be heard, etc. But also because I feel at times constantly outweighed or that's a contradiction at times constantly at times I feel like I'm outweighed like I'm outskilled out opinioned which but I don't even know if that's a word actually opinioned um it's out everything and especially if they've been doing what I do longer than me and it's to the point where people are asking you know Adam have you got you know have you got anything to say you know, has Adam Boyce got an opinion? Um, how come you're not throwing anything in? And in my personal life, looking at everyone and perceiving that they've just got it all together. You know, their marriage, their, their relationship with their children, with their parents, siblings, their popularity, you know, ooh, everyone's always mentioning such and such. Everyone's always going on about such and such. You know, silly thoughts. Um, and I would, I would and, and to an extent, still find myself you know with little insecurities when in 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 sort of in friendship circles not as much as i used to but then i would realize you know when i spent time with my friends sort of in in smaller more intimate settings maybe a meal around a table watching telly or a movie you know just sort of everyday stuff that things aren't as rosy as you perceive them to be and not to say that the whole of my close friends base which is quite small compared to most probably you know they all have horrible terrible lives that are lovely on the outside but full of dread and evil on the inside but you know you just see sort of squabbles between couples or a mood between a father and a daughter or huff and puffs and kissing of teeth and maybe a cussing between a mum and a son and you know you just start to realize that hold on this is all normal to me and you know this is the stuff you know so they're just they're just the same as me and and when i deeped it you know my friends and family you know, they're coming to me with their issues and worries and stuff for uh, for some sort of advice, you know, for me, who, you know, who is a fake, why are you coming to me, lol. And, and again, okay, so wait, you guys have messed too. And I mean, I could go on and on, but the point here is like, nobody's perfect, no one's made it, you know, we're all still going and trying to get there in life. And imposter syndrome it can creep in with my faith into my faith as well. I mean, I'm a, I'm a believer. I love God. I, I believe what the Bible teaches and tells us that Jesus died for our sins. You know, God raised him from the dead. I'm saved because of this and because I believe it. But I sin. I mean, you've got what we call everyday sins. Like, are you on your way? Yeah, 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 I'm on my way. But you're still at home, just walking out the door. Sin. So, you know, that's a sin. Sorry, I missed your call. But really, you wasn't in the mood to talk. So you didn't answer the call sin i mean these might not be life threatening or altering things but you know sin is sin line is line but like everybody and and please don't catch yourself and think that you're exempt here like like everybody we all have our habitual sins you know those more serious things that you that, that we keep on doing and thinking and feeling that i know i shouldn't and i won't elaborate because we all have our own habitual sins but for you know for the record none of them are unique to us you know, none of our sins are unique to us. So if we feel, you know, if you feel like you're struggling with something right now, take a bit of comfort that someone somewhere else right now is struggling with that too. But this for me will always lead to an, a, an attack of imposter syndrome. I'm a child of God. 
I'm what some might call a professional Christian. You know, I'm paid to share my faith and equip others to share their faith more effectively. You know, I read and I study and I preach the word of God. But I just did that again. What kind of fake believer am I? How can I be preaching one thing and doing another? And in his letter to the believers in Rome, the book of Romans, as it's known as, the Apostle Paul, he spoke about his struggle with sin and he wrote, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. And I could spend an hour unpacking this passage from the book of Romans, but a big part of his point is that he wants to do good, hates doing what is wrong, but does it anyway. And I'm at the stage in my walk with God where, to be honest, I feel wretched. Like, literally, I feel like I'm in a state of grief, head to toe, when one of these habitual sins you know, rear their ugly selves again. Like that feeling of shame as well as guilt. And I don't know if you can relate to that, but it's a horrible feeling. You know, this topic in itself could take up an episode or two or five in itself. And I'm going to maybe spend some more time unpacking this area in another episode. But it's just another struggle, you know, all linked to me feeling like a fake, feeling like I'm not as good or well-behaved or well-Bible-versed as my fellow believers. And then it creates that vicious cycle, you know, I sin, I feel shame and guilt, can't face, then I can't face God, so I'm praying less, I can't face his word because it feels like every page is screaming at me what I've done and the consequences and the usual people I'd go to for support or advice, I can't go to them because I can't share that with them. I mean, what the heck would they think of me doing that? They'll think I'm a fake. It will confirm what they've thought all these years that he's faking this good Christian guy thing, you know, for the last 15 years. Do you see my point here? Like imposter syndrome, even though it's mainly spoken about and experienced in our work and our studies, creeps into most areas of our life. And the same characteristics are there. Feeling that people think we're better than what we are. Fearing that our true selves will be and are about to be found out constantly feeling like anything good that happens or that we achieve is through luck or winging it. So what can we do? What have I learned on my imposter journey? Which is not the best way to probably phrase it, phrase it, phrase it should I say. What nuggets of Boise wisdom do I have to share? Well, I mean, I've got a few things that have helped me uh, well, that helped me and have helped me along the way. I, I guess the first one is recognizing that it is a thing. You know, accept as you know, as Paul said, accept this thorn in your side. It's there. It's real. Don't hide from it or bury it or ignore it. Recognize it. It's there. You know, imposter syndrome more time is often found in in in, in the realms of high achievers. You know, people who and this is no offence to anybody, there's no, no judgment on anybody, but people who set their you know, their bars really low, for the most part, don't tend to experience imposter syndrome. So I guess if you can relate to any of this, um, if this is something you experience or go through, you know, kind of spud yourself and pat yourself on the back because you are probably, like me, you set your bar really high. 
and you know you're so committed to giving your best and achieving the best you can but for some of us you know the downside is imposter syndrome but equally doing the best is not the same as being the best and and our goal in life shouldn't be to always you know come out on top ahead of the class best in the team you know to be seen as being better than the rest and this doesn't mean that we need to lower the bar for ourselves but we might need to readjust it to a more realistic level you know Maya Angelou the great late Maya Angelou once said I've written 11 books but each time I think uh oh they're going to find me out I've run a game on everybody and they're going to find me out and could you imagine if Maya Angelou allowed her fear of being found out get the better of her after book one or two? God forbid. When does it happen? What are your trigger points? And these will be you know, different for different people. But again, none of them will be unique, to be honest. And for me, when things seem to be going too well, I can get triggered. Like a good week at work, doing well on a project, receiving praise or accolade. Someone at work who I was on teams with catching up recently said they'd met up with a colleague who I've been training. And this colleague was singing my praises to him, telling him how wonderful Adam is and how much he's learning from him and how excited he is about his work. And 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 and, 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 and I'm looking at the screen in my mind, I'm like, bruv, shut up. Like, this is awkward. Like, Adam, boys, no. And in my mind, I'm like, he's about to drop a, however, we found out that you're a fake. Another one for me, you know, is after a failure. Getting something wrong. And this could be something as simple as messing up the chords on a song I'm playing in the band at church or at work. And that's it. (laughs) The whole church now know I cannot play the piano and I've been faking it for years, which I technically have been. I can play the piano, but I'm, you know, I'm not a pianist. And that's it, I'll never play again. They think, they'll think I'm useless. And this sounds silly to some of you, maybe, but it's as real as real is real to me because coming off the piano at church, the person on the guitar praising me and saying how well the set went, when inside my chest is caving under the pressure of that crushing feeling of shame. I mean, this is an extreme example, and it doesn't happen every time, but it's still an example of, you know, something that triggers things for me. But we need to recognise our triggers. Because this will encourage us to stop and think about them. Like, what really helped me is when I started to stop fighting the feeling of not belonging in that social, that social setting, or not being worthy of that praise, or not being good enough to be in that room full of peers or being a dumbo that shouldn't be let anywhere near that presentation or sermon. When I started to acknowledge these feelings, then I was able to really start deep in them or thinking about them, should I say, you know, and, and, and almost unpicking them. Like what was causing them? What, what was triggering them? Where are they? Where are these feelings coming from? And when we're feeling overwhelmed and, and vulnerable and maybe at a low point, this is when negative thoughts, you know, often bubble to the surface. But we need to always remember, you know, that thoughts are not always facts. But when we're in that place, they can feel so real. Like we can find ourselves believing that these negative thoughts 
are facts about ourselves when in reality they're just bad thoughts this kind of leads me to my next point is that we need to remember our past achievements you know try your best to remember what you have achieved before and also what you've what you failed at or what you've not got right either way you're still here either way there's a lesson to be learned either way you know you've made it through to experience it, this again, <laughs> you know, and talk to someone. You know, we we really can be our own worst enemy at times, but talking to someone can really help to get a different and clearer perspective on things. You know, if we only talk to ourselves, you know, if we only inter, if we just spend all our time internalizing things, then we're basically creating and maintaining almost a breeding ground for imposter syndrome to thrive in. And, you know, you know, you might, like me, need to talk to somebody who's trained to talk to people. A, a counsellor, for example. And that's okay. And from my experience, it's, it really helps. Um, I'm starting a, another batch of counselling um, next week to talk through certain some things and, and, and get a perspective on some things. I mean, especially if, like me, it's part of your work in life to talk to people, to pass the people, to help people. Who's listening to you? Who's hearing you out? Who's helping you work through stuff? Don't watch people. Stop comparing yourself to others. I mean, it's, I mean, it's literally, it feel, for me, it's, it feels like a form of mental self-harm. Like every time we compare ourselves to someone in a social situation, we're going to find some fault with ourselves that, that almost dashes petrol on the fire of us not feeling good enough or being good enough or belonging in that, in that social setting, in that, in that situation. And in our work or studies, we know how hard things are for us, how hard we have to work at those reports or those presentations or those tests or those assessments or whatever. Like we know how tough it can feel trying to keep our heads above water more time, but feeling like at any moment we're going to drown. You know, not being able to cope with what's going on right now, much less all the pressures of what's next in life, especially if you're a young person, it could be even worse. But then we can all too often fall into that trap of thinking that everyone else, because they're doing a, perceive, a perceivably better job or course, or their relationship seems rosier, or like they've sailed through the next stage in life that we haven't yet reached, we, we look at them like their grass is, is a lot greener, that they've got there with little effort, as if they were born with that job, that degree, that long-term career path that they must have been 100% confident of from nursery. Nursery. But the reality is, Lots and lots of people are struggling and feeling stretched and are feeling like they are winging it, just like you, just like me, if you, if you can relate to any of this. If you've got this far and you haven't, then you must like my voice. <laughs> but maybe, <laughs> that was a bad joke, maybe not in the exact same way that you are, but they, they'll have their own bag of worries and insecurities and emotional struggles and challenges. It's the same meat with different gravy. You can write that one down in your little notes if you want. 
as I said, don't watch people. Don't think oh, you know, don't think them over there or them round there. They've got to where they are, and it was just plain sailing. Don't convince yourself that such and such was born to do what they're doing, and it's just all come so naturally for them because we don't know what they've gone through to get to where they are. But the fact is, you are you, and you are enough. Standard. Another little tip: take time. You know, as a as a wise Nigerian brother of mine once reminded me, it's the direction, not the speed of travel that matters. You know, if you're following the right path for your life, don't try and get to the destination in the quickest way possible. That's stress. And you know, speed limits are there for a reason. And shortcuts most of the time never end up being short. Trust me, I know. I'm forever trying to take shortcuts only to be greeted by a dead end sign and end up spending more time trying to get back on to the, what I thought was the slow route than it would have taken me just to take that route in the first place. Okay, I'm stretching the metaphor to death here like I normally do. Right direction is the priority, not the speed of travel, is my point. And we've also got to have an eternal perspective on this. You know, life started in a garden. Yes, I'm talking about the Garden of Eden. You know, there was no imposter syndrome there. There was just God and his creation. And, and inside this, this perfect place that God created, was there was security. And if you check out Genesis chapter 3, you know, to get a full story, but when sin entered the world, that security vanished. And amongst other things, insecurities entered our world. And I think we all know what insecurities feel like in our own way, you know, feeling stupid, anxious, scared, like we're not good enough, useless. Add on to that the cruel and vulgar side of the world. And out here, outside of the garden, isn't very pretty. But the Bible doesn't just tell us why we feel this way. It tells us the difference that a loving God can make. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from, us, from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that you can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do there's three big things that we can you know take a note of here in this little passage God created us and that's why we exist it's as simple as simple is you know we read in Psalm 139 that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made So if the God who created this world and universe and all that's in it created you, then you have a God-given right and purpose to be here. And God doesn't create fakes or imposters or fraud. Come on now. And God saved us because we can't save ourselves. And God has good works he has prepared for us, works he prepared in advance, way in advance for us. I mean, they don't have to be world-changing, Avengers-level, epic works. But one task we're all called to do, for example, is to share God's love with others. You know, in our relationships, in our interactions with those that we come across in our daily lives, in our examples that we set to others. I was at the cinema um, a few weeks ago with my son and niece, and I booked out one of the tickets as a student ticket. But I forgot to tell 
said student to bring their student ID. And so the ticket guy wouldn't let us in the viewing and told me to go and upgrade the ticket to an adult ticket. And if I'm honest, I was such an idiot about it. I mean, not screaming and shouting and swearing all over the place, idiot. But I was an idiot all the same. You know, sarcastic, sort of questioning why he wouldn't let us go in because I've paid for the ticket. You can clearly see she's a student, blah, 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 etc. blah. And so I paid the, the, you know, the upgrade of the, for the ticket. And we went in. After, you know, me, funny, not funny, asking him if he wants to see our adult ID on the way through. But, you know, I almost instantly knew that I'd been an idiot. I'd been rude. And he was just doing his job. Now, whether he had to or chose to make me upgrade the ticket, it was neither here nor there. He was doing his job and I was an idiot. And I was a bad witness. I was a bad witness to him, to my son, to my niece. And I I looked for him as we came out of the cinema to apologise to him, but I couldn't see him. But even in the mundane every moments, the mundane everyday moments, rather should I say, we need to and are called to share God's love. That is part of our works. Now, part, not part of, yeah, anyway, it's part of what we're called to do, is to share God's love. And we're to be an example, you know, of God's love, especially to young believers and especially to young people. I've slightly digressed, but whether you feel like you're deserving of it or not, know that God created you, that he's saved you. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, holler at me, let's talk that one through. But he has a purpose for you to do good works that he planned out way in advance of you coming into this world. So you can roll up to work or to college or to uni with your chest high, confident, knowing that God has given you the gifts, the skills and abilities to be in the moment that you are in right now. And that might be a place where you're learning new things, but you're there. God might have you in a place where you're feeling a bit vulnerable or uncomfortable or how things usually are might be changing. Uh, But when do we ever grow by things staying the same or by things being comfortable all the time? You know, we've got to keep it moving. We've got to keep it real. And we've got to keep it God. And whether it's doing that presentation, you know, to a bunch of colleagues or your class you know, whether it's giving your voice or opinion in that meeting, you know, being at that family or friends gathering or whatever, you know, feeling like you shouldn't be there, like you're fraud or about to be found out, you know, take comfort in knowing you're not the only one feeling like that. And more than likely, you're not the only one in the room feeling like that. And take courage knowing that God has the you know, he has you right where he wants you and he has a purpose for you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boise Talks podcast. You can find more episodes, how to subscribe to our podcast and mailing list and other info at our website, boisetalks.com dot com